Direct from Cape Gunworks in Hyannis, you're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation. And we're only getting started. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. 
USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA, so make sure to check out their great content. Uh, Vortex Optics is one of my personal favorites. Uh, I use them for hunting and on my defensive pistol as well as some of my other guns that I love to shoot on the range. Uh, USCCA is a must-have if you're carrying a gun out in the community these days, so make sure you check them out. Uh, this is your weekly show, as I mentioned, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And the um, we go over the gun news of the week each and every week, and as well as have some great guests on the show uh, but we've been playing catch up lately. There's so much going on that I haven't lined up any guests because uh, I have so much to talk about. But I promise second hour, we're going to get to lots of your questions. So cue them up. If you want to be a part of the show, you can give us a call at 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. Um, I'll put that in the chat. If you want to follow along live, make sure you go to rapidfireradio.us and sign up to be notified whenever we go live. Make sure you like and subscribe and share and comment on all of our channels that we broadcast on social media. If you want to stay up to date and also help the channel grow, make sure you like, subscribe, and hit the, sub the alert bell if you're on uh, YouTube. So uh, interestingly enough, so much of the big tech platforms, I have had very to little little to no growth on because um, of the whole industry that I'm in. And I've been assured that it's not really a thing. Don't believe your lying eyes that we are not shadow banned. That is a bad word. We are uh, restricted by industry or something. I forget what the term is. And um, so that's not shadow banning. So go figure. Um, <laughs> but Twitter, on the other hand, or X as it's now called, we have had explosive growth in a very short time. So you can't tell me that <laughs> we're 
not being shadow banned by the big tech. We are on some alternative platforms as well, like Rumble and um, Telegram and Truth. So please stay up to date wherever you find your social media. Uh, at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio is our handle there. So I'm really glad to be with everybody today. Um, once again, 508-444-2120 if you want to uh, be on the show. We got a lot to talk about. Um, first up, I wanted to talk about uh, the plan in the state legislature for um for the Senate to take up and vote on this gun bill that that is now known as H4139. It is the um, it is the uh, the bill as it's you know changed names many times uh, and it's the one that got passed by the House uh, of Representatives in Massachusetts. And, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, we're all upset about that, but now it's headed to the Senate and there's been a statement. Um, uh, this was on, uh, let's see, mass live. And, uh, it was sent along by representative Stephen Exaros, who was one of the voices of reason in opposition to bill HD 4420, which is now H4139. So this is an article by John Mysick, I believe is how you'd pronounce his name. Uh, and it says, the state Senate's version of a much-anticipated gun violence reduction bill won't make its debut until January, even as the chamber's top leader has acknowledged the true sense of urgency around the issue. That's the word from Senate President Karen Spilka, who's a Democrat of Middlesex in Norfolk office. The Senate leader said that it is important to get a good bill to Governor Maura Healey, more important to get a good bill to Governor Maura Healey than to try to push one through the majority Democrat General Assembly before it puts a cap on its formal voting sessions for the year of November 15th. Uh, Politico's Massachusetts Playbook reported Friday. It's a very complex issue. The House struggled with it. They took their time as well, Spilka said, according to Politico. But we recognize the true sense of urgency here. The House passed its version of the bill after a marathon debate on October 18th, MassLive previously reported. The revised proposal, sponsored by Rep. Michael Day of Middlesex. Hey, go figure. Same place as Karen Spilka. Um make slight modifications to where people can carry firearms, expands the state's assault weapons ban to include firearms developed after 20, 2004, and aims to stem the flow of illegal firearms, among other measures. According to Politico, Spilka's timeline would give the two chambers at least six months to reconcile any differences between their respective proposals. And it still would meet the state house Speaker Ron Mariano's Democrat of 3rd Norfolk plan to get a bill to Healy before the end of the current two-year legislative session, the news outlet reported. Spilka's comments come even as law enforcement officials in Maine conduct an exhaustive manhunt for a 40-year-old suspect believed responsible for a pair of mass shootings that have left 18 people dead. The murders have put Maine's relaxed gun laws under the microscope. 
even as Massachusetts looks to further tighten some of the most restrictive laws in the country. Healy has declined to weigh in on the debate, which I find interesting, telling MassLive earlier this month that she looked forward to the future communication on this issue in dialogue with the legislature, which pretty much if you read between the lines there, she can't wait to sign this bill no matter what it looks like whenever it gets to her desk. I, I added that footnote by Toby. Uh, Healy's office and the Massachusetts State Police have been in contact with officials in Maine to offer support. Politico and State House News Services reported. So many people right now are going to be in need of grief counselors uh, and going to be in need of mental health services, Healy said Thursday, according to State House News Service. And I know the people of Massachusetts will step forward and support the great people of Maine in, the, in its time. The governor added, we must step up and show our solidarity in terms of comfort and in terms of support in this time, in the weeks and in the months ahead. So um, there you have it, folks. That is the official um, statement from Karen Spilka, who has been tasked with heading up the Senate's version of the bill. Why they are taking a slower more methodical approach could be good and it could be bad. I honestly don't know. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Senate wants to do something. They definitely want to do um, a bill that they can send to Maura Healy's desk. From what I've been told by Karen Spilka's chief of staff, or I'm sorry, this was uh, Cynthia Cream's chief of staff that they are looking hard at quote unquote ghost guns untraceable firearms, home-built firearms, unserialized firearms, um, and training requirements. So if you think about the need for a law, which is no law should ever be done without a great need for said law, because otherwise it's, an, it's a restriction on freedom. So if you're going to infringe upon freedom, if you're going to restrict upon freedom, if you're going to uh, put... Uh, any type of restrictions on freedom, you must have to demonstrate a need for said law. Now, what does that mean, need for a law? Because I'm sure in some people's mind, one death with a firearm, oh, we need a law to ban all guns. Then you could say, well, comparatively, Guns are a whole lot safer than a lot of things. More people die a year in automobiles than with guns, period, right? So there's no one out there saying we need to ban automobiles. There's not even a close second place to death by medical malpractice, but no one is out there advocating we do away with doctors. Medical malpractice is the leading cause of death in America by a long shot. It is so much so that it is its own category that the CDC doesn't even track because it would skew the death uh, by category so bad. It's to like the power of 10, <laughs> the leading cause of death. But yet nobody's out there advocating we do away with doctors. But here we have let's break down the numbers, between 30 and 40,000 people die a year by firearm, all-encompassing. Half of those are suicide. 
take the half by suicide out. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but you're talking about people who willfully want to take their life and do because of the, and uh, they have chosen the tool of a firearm. Not a good situation. I'm not proud of it. And I think we could do more as a, as an industry and as a society to reduce death by suicide via firearm. But every time somebody hangs themselves, we don't advocate, we take away rope. Every time somebody, you know, puts a, a hose in their exhaust pipe and then puts it into their um, car window and then sits in their garage until they die, we don't advocate, we do away with garages, hoses, or cars. So I just want to be consistent. So if we take that out of the equa equation, you're left with roughly 15 to 20,000 deaths a year by firearm. Out of those, um, you're, you have de defensive gun uses, you have law enforcement gun uses, and then you have what, you know, negligence and you know, or accidental death, and you have violent acts of murder or, you know, misdemeanor, I mean, uh, murder or manslaughter. So when you boil it down, it's about seven or 8,000 deaths a year by murder, manslaughter. Um, I think we can do a lot of work to reduce accidental deaths as we already have. They're on the decline and have been for decades so that's good. We're doing a lot of good work through education. Um, so you have seven or 8,000, 9,000 deaths by violence, if you will, um, with a firearm a year. Look at the risk versus reward ratio. You have defensive gun uses by CDC statistics between 500,000 and 3 million times a year. Lives are saved by defensive gun uses, by firearm. So if you just use the simple math of defensive gun use versus offensive negative outcome with a firearm, there's no, like, it's not even close. The benefit far outweighs the risk. More people are saved every year by firearms than lives that are lost by firearms. That's an argument that is never, ever contrasted in the media. You'll hear of every negative outcome with a, with a firearm, as long as it fits the narrative of, you know, white guy or, uh, you know, some voting demographic or um, some, you know, racist or some fill in the blank, whatever the buzzword of the day is, right? But somebody pointed out, and I think it was a listener of the show, aptly pointed out that the weekend where we had that horrific shooting up in Maine um, by this psychopathic killer who actually sought treatment, didn't get what he needed, whose family reached out to sheriffs and didn't get what they needed, who threatened, which is a felony under the law, to shoot up a National Guard base. That's all you need in all 50 states 
to do something about this. The system failed. The system collapsed around itself. And we're, we can plan for the future of more of that happening because it is extremely difficult uh, to get anyone to do anything about somebody making violent threats, as we've seen with just about every mass shooting ever. What's the line? He was on our radar. He was known to authorities. We had visited that house, you know, in the case of the Parkland shooter, 40 times. And yet nobody did anything. There was laws on the books in all 50 states that could have done something about this shooter. But yet nobody did anything. So the point I'm trying to make is there's no one coming to save you. You are your own first responder. Mark Smith from the uh, Four Boxes Diner did a great video on this, and we all need to think about this. The term first responder, this has nothing to do with um, trying to belittle or uh, or take away the courage of their job. Police, fire, rescue, paramedics, EMTs, um, everybody who's on the front lines, I would say, of responding to these type of events. But he aptly points out that the first responder are the people on the scene, the people that are affected by whatever the tragic tragedy is, whether it be a car accident, a drowning, a, um, a fire, or a active shooter threat. The people there on the scene are the first responders. They're the ones trying to survive. They're the ones trying to respond. They're the ones trying to mitigate loss. They're the ones trying to triage the wounded until paramedics arrive. And uh, if we cannot protect ourselves with the same arms that the police and uh, fire and military use or can use, then that is a uh, horrible deprivation of our rights. And should never be tolerated in society. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're going to unpack that because there's a lot there. And uh, we will we will get to that on the other side. Make sure you queue up your questions. If you want to be on the show, give us a call, 508-444-2120. And we'll talk about it. I'm Toby Leary. You are listening to Rapid Fire. We'll be right back. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back. I'm Toby Leary, your host of Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I appreciate your time being here each and every week. Please like and subscribe, share, and comment, and that'll help our channel grow and spread the good news and spread the good word. All right, so before the break, we were talking about uh, the shooting in uh, Maine, which got a lot of media attention, right? And it was fitting the narrative until it didn't. And that was that just weeks before the shooting, uh, the shooter 
Shooter's family had reached out to the sheriff's department and said, hey, we're worried about this guy. He, uh, he's been talking crazy. He's been, uh, you know, don't say anything about that. We said something because that would uh, set him off. So there was obviously some history there. They knew uh, about his propensity to fly off the handle. They knew about his uh, predilection to wanting to commit violence. And uh, so therefore, they alerted that, you know, it's like you hear all the time, if you see something, say something. And so they did. And what good did it do? It didn't do much good, right? So um, the bottom line is, we have to accept that the system is going to continually fail us time and time again. There's never going to be a time where we're going to be like, oh, uh, don't worry about it because government's all over it. Government fails us time and time again. And when it gets involved in something and when we put all our eggs in that basket, guess what happens? We end up woefully woefully prepared for what could potentially happen. Um, government is not the most efficient um, path for us to take. Those who are going to be on the scene, those who are out in society, those who are out shopping, those who are out at restaurants, those who are out enjoying uh, family time, those who are uh, about their general business are the ones that are going to be asked and tasked with responding first and foremost to an an a very bad situation as it unfolds i hate to say it because i love the thought of mayberry but the the bottom line is um we need now more than ever before to be able and willing to protect ourselves and our loved ones. I like what Jordan Peterson said. He said, we need to be a monster, an absolute monster. We need to be a human force of nature, if you will. He goes, but then we need to learn how to control it. And if you think about it, uh, I think he did has done some big, long talks about this, but there's no virtue in passivism. If you are incapable of bringing violence upon a society, then the fact that you're not violent is not virtuous. It is just the fact that you don't have the capability of it. Virtue is actually being capable of extreme and utter violence if you ever needed to use it. But having the discipline and the wisdom and the morality and the uh, and the virtue of not acting out on it because of your sense of community, your love, of humanity, your love for your neighbor, your brotherly and sisterly love for society and for those around you, for your country, for your uh, nation, for your town, for your community, for your church, for your school, for your team, right? But if I am incapable of violence, 
there's no virtue in me being peaceful. Virtue comes with the fact that I am extremely dangerous as a human being, but yet I choose to spread love and I choose to spread peace wherever I go. And that is virtue because of what I know that I'm capable of, and we all are. So getting our head straight by good input, <laughs> the old saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? So by us feeding the soul uh, with good and virtuous and righteous uh, thought and, and material and uh, you know, with, with a credo that we can live by. That's what I love about uh, some of the teachings of Jesus. If you think about it, there were 10 commandments given on Mount Sinai, but man loves rules, right? We do like rules. So the Levitical law, I think extrapolated out into 600 and something odd laws, right? And so when the rulers of the day, the religious people of the day asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Jesus so uh, aptly said, it is to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said something very interesting, that on these two commandments, all of the other laws of Moses are hinged. Think about that. And it's brilliant if you think about it. How do I be a good member of society? Love God, love my fellow man. If I do those two things, I will not be a murderer. I will not be an adulterer. I will not be a backstabber. I will not be a liar. I will not be uh, violent towards my friends and neighbors. I will not seek to take advantage of the poor. I will not uh, scheme in my mind ways of being criminal, uh, criminally minded to take advantage of those who are unsuspecting. Isn't that so amazing? So out of all the laws of nature and all the laws of the universe, we can boil it down to two. And if we just follow those two laws, everything else will get in order and be right in the world. And so the point I'm trying to make is um, we have an evil and corrupt society that we live in. It has been corrupt beyond all repair, in my opinion. So therefore, what is righteous and what is pure is to be a good steward and a good human being by trying to make the world a better place by our actions. And if we can do that by defending those who are defenseless, and we can do that by making sure that we are able to respond if we ever find ourselves in the unlikely event where we need to. But when we, if we, if and when we find ourselves in that situation, that we can respond with such ferocity and such violence of action that it can end the threat as quickly as humanly possible. That is what the human resolve needs to be right now in society. We have, I'm not a, an alarmist by any stretch of the imagination. The, the bottom line is we have um, a very tightly wrapped society that is ready and willing to go off the handle at any given time. Just look at traffic, just look at 
you know, social media posts. Just look at um, what's going on with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You got people putting up pictures of people who've been captured by Hamas, and you got people coming in right behind them, ripping them down. It's like if we aren't the most divided as we've, I've ever seen in society, I don't know what is. But the bottom line is, you know, we we have to be willing and able and vigilant to stand guard for those who can't and to be able to stand in the gap for those who can't, to be able to be, um, be violent if need be for those who can't in order to uh, keep society in, in uh, a livable condition. And for all the people who say none of this would happen if there weren't guns involved, you're, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to uh, yourself, your friends and neighbors. And I deal with them all the time on Twitter. They say, oh, it's the gun, it's the gun, it's the gun. No, it's not. It's the human heart. It's the condition of man. And until people start to see that, um, we're not going to make any significant progress because we're going to just blame the tool that's used instead of treat the symptom. We're putting water on the smoke when there's a raging fire underneath. You can't put a fire out by putting water on the smoke. It has to be done by, uh, by getting to the source of the fire. What's the source? I don't know. Might just be true, pure evil. It might be mental illness. It might be combination of both. It might be psychotropic medication. That's something no one wants to talk about. All right, more after this. I know this is all heavy stuff, but we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to wrap this up on the other side uh, and get to some of the news of the day. Uh, not that this isn't the news of the day, but. Uh, so stand by. We'll be right back. I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Uh, join us each and every week. Same bat time, same bat channel, with a few exceptions here and there. Um, RapidFireRadio.us, go over there, sign up to be alerted whenever we go live, and we will uh, get to your questions as promised in the second hour. Um, so uh, just to put a bow on this thing about the whole subject of you are your own first responder, um, I want to circle back to the point of the CDC, CDC statistic that says um, 500,000 to 3 million times a year defensive gun uses. Um, that's something we don't see in statistics. That's something we don't see leading newspaper headlines. That's something we don't see on CNN town hall uh, cable news shows, right? We'll get all the all the pundits on there. We'll get all the antis. We'll get the David Hoags. We'll get the Gabby Giffords. We'll get the Michael Bloombergs. We'll get the fill in the blank, right? 
and talk all about how guns are the problem with society and blah, blah, blah. And if it wasn't for guns, you know, everything would be rosy and pure and I would never have an issue. Uh, but the truth of the matter is um, we know that 500,000 to 3 million times a year, guns are used defensively most of the time without a shot being fired. This is a an interesting way to look at statistics too, if you think about it. Um, I've heard a lot over the past three months since this whole HD 4420 thing got injected into the uh, mass politics that Massachusetts is the lowest firearm-related death state in the country per capita. Um, I still haven't really seen that statistic, but uh, let's just say it is, okay? Let's say that fewer people die by firearm in the state of Massachusetts than any other state. Now, there's an interesting article that my father-in-law, who's no great friend of the Second Amendment, sent me today about um, from the New York Times. I'm going to see if I can pull it up here. Um, but it, he said it's a very good article or an interesting article. And I think this is his subtle way of trying to extend the olive branch and bridge the gap a little bit and try to say like he kind of sees how I see it. But um, it's, um, you know, I think he's trying to also get me to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Um, and this article at the uh, New York Times, which, by the way, I just gave an extensive interview uh, to the New York Times. So I'm looking forward to that article coming out. But this is in the newsletter in the morning, a drop in American gun violence. Some progress has been made on firearm violence in recent decades. All right, you've piqued my interest. Um, and then... They've wrapped up the whole article in the first paragraph. Get this. So let me tee this up. I just talked about the defensive gun uses. and uh, But we'll get into this a little bit in the article. I want to hit a couple of the high points. American gun violence can feel like an unsolvable problem. With every mass shooting like last week's killing in Maine affirming that the situation is getting worse. But the U.S. has, in fact, made some progress over the past few decades. Okay, cool. My ears have perked up. Then it goes downhill. Enacting policies that have saved lives. I know some policies that have saved lives, by the way. I'm not discounting that. But get what? guess what policies they're going to uh, choose to shine the light on. This is the conclusion of a new study by Patrick Shark, uh, Sharkey and Megan Kang at Princeton. Stricter gun laws passed by 40 states from 91 to 2016 reduced gun deaths by nearly 4,300 in 2016, or about 10% of the nationwide total. States with stricter laws, such as background checks and waiting periods, consistently have fewer gun deaths, as this chart by my colleague Ashley Wu shows. State-level gun regulations and death rates. Um, this is by far the most cherry-picked uh, chart I've ever seen. Uh, but anyway, let's let's move on. 
Sharkey told me that the results had surprised him. He had studied violent crime for years and did not believe that stricter gun laws had a major effect in reducing it. See what they're doing there? Uh, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, his new takeaway, the challenge of, a gun violent, of gun violence is not intractable. And in fact, we have just lived through a period of enormous progress that was driven by public policy. The country's progress on guns may surprise you too. It certainly surprised me. It's worth reflecting on why. If the data is clear, why haven't we heard more about these outcomes? To my mind, the lack of attention shows the narrow view that many of us often take toward gun policy. The smaller things, national conversation about gun violence focuses on big federal policy ideas. Activists and pundits often speak about the need for a federal law enacting universal background checks or banning assault weapons. Anything short of action at the national level will fail to make the U.S. as safe as Canada, Europe, or Japan, the argument goes. It is true that guns kill many more people in the U.S. than other rich countries. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and America will likely remain an outlier for the foreseeable future. But the study, Sharkey and Kang, shows that changes at the state level can have an effect. Even policies that seem limited, like safety training requirements or age restrictions, add up. There's no single policy that's going to eliminate the flow or circulation of guns within and across the states, Sharkey says, but the idea that these kind of regulations accumulate. After all, America's gun problem is rooted in easy access to firearms. Let me just stop right there. Easy access to firearms. Right now in our nation's history, access to firearms has never been more difficult than in the history, in the entire history of our nation. You used to be able to order firearms through the mail, get them delivered to your door, no background check. And, you know, just the, the hardest and most complicated thing was to put down your make, model number, barrel length, caliber, uh, wood configuration, site configuration, so that you didn't have to send it back. That was the most complicated about ordering a gun thing about ordering a gun. There was no licensing. There was no background checks. There was no 4473s. There was no storage requirements. There was no uh, may or may not issue laws. There was no uh, red flag stuff. There was just, here's the money, send the gun. That's how it was. Now, we have many hoops and roadblocks to overcome, but I digress. Back to the article. In every country, people get into arguments, hold racist views, or suffer from mental health issues. But when these problems turn violent, quick access to guns makes that violence much more likely to become lethal. Anything that adds barriers to picking up a firearm in such moments reduces deaths, whether it's incremental state policies or broader federal laws. The new study is one part of a broader line of research demonstrating that point. Among the many new laws put in place since 1991, California required background checks on private gun sales in 91. Massachusetts tightened child access laws in 98. Remember that date. And Virginia restricted gun ownership by people with mental illness in 2008. After 2016, there is a major caveat to the process that Sharkey and Kang documented. It seems to have ended. The new study cuts off at 2016 because later data was not available at the time of the research. Sharkey said since 2016, ma many states have loosened their gun laws. In some cases, Supreme Court rulings have forced them to do so, and firearm sales have surged, particularly during the COVID pandemic. 
Congress did pass narrow gun control law last year that extended background checks and funded anti-violence policies. And some states have continued tightening gun laws on net, though the U.S. gun laws have become looser in the past seven years. Gun deaths have increased over the same period and mass shootings have become more common. These trends in rise in deaths, looser laws, and increased firearm purchases are likely related, Sharkey said. He pointed out that the six states that had weakened their gun laws from 91 to 2016 appeared to have experienced more gun deaths than other factors suggested they should have. As more states have loosened their laws in recent years, they have set themselves up for more gun deaths. If states take basic steps to regulate guns, it will save thousands and thousands of lives, Sharkey said. The opposite is also true. Um, it's just amazing to me that this is um, this should be considered an op-ed, not any type of scientific research. So I have personal firsthand knowledge of, and they referenced Massachusetts in 1998, we have a spike of violence with firearms since 1998 in Massachusetts when strict gun control was was enacted. 1998, it's a hockey stick, stick curve till 2023 on the rise of gun violence. Every time the state enacts uh, stricter gun violence, uh, stricter gun control, excuse me, the gun uh, crime rates rise, period. It's 120% higher uh, per capita now in 2023 or 2022, whenever the study was finished, from 1998. Every single time. But yet this is take it's cherry picking statistics from certain areas. And what precipitated this whole thought that I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that we we got really hopped up, obviously, for good reason on this active shooter threat in Maine, this mass shooting event where 18 people lost their lives and dozens others were injured. Whereas that is less than a normal weekend in Chicago, right? You'll have weekends where there's up to 50 or 60 people killed with guns in Chicago, not even a blip on the radar. Why is that? Why are we not hearing about that? Oh, it's probably because there's a high barrier to entry to owning a gun in Chicago and legally. There's plenty of guns on the streets in gangbangers' hands. There's plenty of guns in the hands of people who should not have them. Just like in Massachusetts, we see state police pictures all the time on their feed of how they've rounded up this guy with this gun, with these high capacity magazines. And the gun is a gun that's not legal for sale in Massachusetts. So it obviously came in from wherever. It's obviously got high capacity magazines, so they didn't buy it at a local gun shop. And it's somebody who is what? A career criminal. So they're out. They don't care what law you pass. Keep passing all the laws you want. Doesn't reduce crime. That's why 451 police chiefs oppose House 14139. Uh, that's why they opposed it. They know that it when it at the end of the day, it makes society no safer. But guess what it does? Is it makes the first responders, those who are truly 
the first responders, the people on the scene, severely hamstrung and severely uh, infringed upon. And it might even make them a felon overnight by doing nothing. That's something that should never, ever happen. It should never happen. There should never be a law that is passed that makes lawful, peaceful people felons overnight. That's what the whole pistol brace and frame and receiver rule aim to do. They all aim to do that. So um, 508-444-2120 is the number. And I apologize if you've called and I missed it, but uh, that is the number if you want to be on the phone, on the show today. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break and uh, we will be right back and we're going to start digging into your questions. So I appreciate you guys staying with me. I had to get a lot off my chest, but we got some news of the day we need to talk about after this. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm excited to be with you as we round the corner towards episode 159. This is, uh, I'm sorry, towards episode 150. This is 149. So kind of feel like a celebration is in order after once we hit 150. Um, I know it's more than that because we didn't keep good track of all of them along the way, but there you go. All right, let's get to some more of the 2A-related news. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of activity, I think, uh, which has been just remarkable. Um, it's been exciting. And uh, to tee this up, after Heller in 2015, the courts were um, basically handed a massive defeat on the interest balancing of firearms law. However, the Supreme Court stopped short of giving clear marching orders, clear step-by-step, paint-by-numbers uh, guidance on how to deal with gun cases as they come in. You know, we're talking district and circuit court uh, levels. Um, so the Supreme Court didn't really give good guidance to the inferior courts. And that's that's kind of a, a, a problem. So as a result, after Heller, which was a massive Second Amendment victory um, for the 2A community, there was tons of legislation that happened, but very few positive outcomes. It was, a, it was almost a waste of time and money in a lot of cases because there was the minority of those cases that were challenged in a post-Heller world that were won or overturned or there were victories. So it was still the wild, wild west as far as the district or circuit courts, um, even after such a landmark case such as Heller. Fast forward to the Bruin decision. The one thing that they did differently 
was A, well, there's two or three things that they did differently. A, they affirmed Heller as good law using text, history, and tradition as the standard that the Second Amendment challenges and tests and law needs to be filtered through. Um, first is the text. Uh, if it isn't in the text, then you have to, the burden of proof shifts to the government to prove that it was in our nation's history and tradition at the time of ratification in 1791. If it doesn't meet those standards, then you got to throw it out because you can't have a two-step approach. That's what Clarence Thomas said. He said, it is one step too many. So now, uh, and as it should be, all constitutional amendments should be held to strict scrutiny. There should never be um, that two-step approach to uh, like interest balancing approach to an enumerated right. None of us would put up with it in any other category. And we have lived with it for decades as it pertains to the um, to the Second Amendment, which is tragic, if you ask me. We've, we've really put up with it. And so now that all changed. And then the court secondly took, uh, gave the clear marching orders that you must hold strict scrutiny, you must hold to the text of the Second Amendment. And it also, if it's not in the text, then it must have been in our nation's history and tradition at the time of 1791. So in a post-Bruin world, we're starting to see the winds rack up big time. Now, Justice Roger T. Benitez out of the Southern District of California District Court um, has, he did apply the Heller standard pre in a pre-Bruin world, and it was overturned by the en banc uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then it went to the Supreme Court where they GVR'd it and vacated the Ninth Circuit and sent it back and remanded it back to the Ninth Circuit to get it right under this Bruin standard, or which is really the Heller standard, but with the Bruin step-by-step -step instructions. So there's a ton of cases that are going to be probably end up back at the Supreme Court, the one in Chicago, um, that Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner, the assault weapons ban there, said would probably make it to the Supreme Court before the uh, the stuff in the Southern District of California. But let's talk quickly about a couple more of the cases that are recent wins. Number one, we have a California judge granted an injunction to protect the First Amendment and the Second Amendment when it comes to gun shows in California. So there was a um, ban on um, gun shows in California, which were very popular, and uh, they banned them on state land, fairgrounds, if you will. Um, so, so therefore, it was, uh, you know, all banned, by the way. Uh, and so now this judge, uh, this California federal court judge, uh, his name is, let's see, I want to get it right. Um, where is it? I had it. I lost it. Uh, but 
anyway, I'll, I'll get to, I'll find that. Um, oh, here it is. Judge John W. Holcomb of the Central District of California granted a motion for preliminary injunction. Judge Holcomb found that it is likely the plaintiffs would prevail and the news would strike down the two California statutes. So just a little history here. The funniest thing about this is they had ruled that in a gun show, you couldn't complete the transaction. You could you could kind of set it up. You could tee it up. You could say, okay, this guy wants to buy this gun from this dealer, but you couldn't finish the transaction at the gun show. You had to complete it at the gun store. But they still banned gun shows anyway. So therefore, uh, Justice Holcomb treated it as a First Amendment case because basically at that point, you're, you're limiting discussion around guns and the visual interaction around guns, which is totally a First Amendment case. So he said, yeah, that's a violation of the First Amendment. But then he went further and said, it's also a violation of the Second Amendment. So uh, it's really, really a good uh, victory. And, and really, it's just an injunction to make it so that you can, gun shows can, can uh, continue now. Uh, but he didn't even put a stay on his own decision. So it could end up being like the like the Freedom Week with the magazine ban uh, overturned that by Justice Benitez back prior to the Bruin decision. So anyway, um, there's that. All of a sudden, also, um, we had another massive victory um, in uh, in the pistol brace rule, where GOA's injunction against the ATF's enforcement of the pistol brace rule was extended until the case is settled. So, it, you know, it, it'll go in perpetuity until the case is settled that the ATF cannot enforce the pistol brace ban against any member of GOA. And I believe that will be the case for the FPC and the, um, the, other, uh, the other groups as well. So as long as you're a member of one of those groups, then you you won't be able to be charged with any type of uh, criminal mis mis you know criminal activity based on having an illegal SBR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's another huge victory for the Second Amendment. Obviously, I believe it's gonna um, it is going to ultimately be overturned. But we got to live with the way um, the way it is for the most part. But I would join one of those organizations to get protection. So um, the ATF director, Stephen Dettelback, is back in the news trying to call for a ban on assault weapons. But yet he won't I, he won't even define the term. How ironic is that? Why wouldn't he? define the term if he's calling for a ban on he's, he he loves to say oh that's up to congress well not exactly uh he knows that um he wants a semi-automatic rifle ban but i'm sure he'll take a page out of the massachusetts playbook if he's pushed on it see that's the thing um massachusetts with their act modernizing firearms um, it was really saying we need to 
now gobble up all the guns that are legally able to be sold in a post-2004 federal assault weapon ban world. They weren't enumerated because they weren't around, but yet these people are able to buy them and own them, and they're in common and ordinary use, and it's the gun that they want. But um, <laughs> they're not happy. So there's been some chatter in Maine uh, from the senator who says he's drafting a gun ban bill. Um, Jared Golden, he is now saying he is going to be drafting a, a ban on guns. And Senator Angus Key, uh, King is also saying he remains opposed to the assault weapons ban introduced by Dianne Feinstein, but he seems to be shifting in his position. So um, if he says he's working on a bill of his own uh, and his bill will address the specific technologies that make such weapons especially deadly. I don't even understand what that means. A focus he has long advocated for as an alternative to the ban. He said it was too soon to discuss what would be in his bill, but that it would be, a sim be similar to his past approach of focusing on the functionality of weapons over their appearance. Obviously, semi-automatic is a functionality of the weapon over their appearance. I want to do something that's really going to work, King said, adding that he has been in discussions all week and through Monday. That's what we're working on. My goal is saving lives. All right. If your focus is on the technology of the firearm or the gun being too deadly, it's not going to work. I can save you the time, effort, and energy. Why? Because psychopath evil people are going to get whatever gun they want to get and use it. And you've already shown you have no resolve for dealing with the criminally insane. So it's not going to work. All it's going to do is hamstring the people who you don't need to worry about. I know I'm preaching to the choir here on this, but as soon as he says he has, uh, he would be focusing on the functionality of weapons over their appearance. The fact that you're focusing on the weapon proves that it's not going to work. That's what we're working on. My goal is to save lives. If your goal is to save lives, let's take a hard, long look at the mental health crisis on our hands. There are more people who are mentally challenged who are possibly even criminally insane that are just like this guy in Maine who were threatening to do damage by a mass shooter uh, by a mass shooting and we do nothing about it let's put our resolve into that area if we continue to look at the gun it's just like looking at the automobile like a Ford F150 is the most popular truck in America and saying we need to ban the Ford F-150 because more people die in a F-150 statistically than any other vehicle in, a, in on the road because statistically there's more of those on the road than any other vehicle. doesn't make it more lethal than any other car, right? It's just the sheer nature of the uh, statistical average. But nobody does that. I would say if you don't use that logic with kitchen knives, baseball bats, rope, garden hoses, garages, cars, trucks, uh, you know, shod 
foot and hands. If you don't use that logic in, uh, with uh, uh, metal pipes, if you don't use that logic with um, any other area of our lives, then why would you use it for guns? It's a fair question to ask. And it comes back to you're in the constant solution in search of a problem. If you would take a step back and look at the problem, now you can see clearly for real solutions. Uh, the problem is most people aren't willing to do that. So that's that's the way I see it. Um, and I, I, I wish it weren't so, but they become willfully ignorant and want to tell themselves what's easier for them to digest and swallow like, oh yeah, gun bad, rather than say we have a heart condition and maybe some of this psychotropic medication that we're prescribing is part of the problem. Maybe we need to bring back mental institutes. Just saying, we did a much better job years ago of dealing with that than we do now. All right. That's the end of the first hour in the bag. I appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back on the second hour with all your questions and comments. And uh, we'll continue to talk about the news of the day. I'm Toby Leary, and this is Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Now this gun has managed to slip through the radar on just about every government watch list uh, since its inception. The Ruger Mini 14 is a really cool gun. It's a classic. It's kind of a take on the M1A design with that rotating bolt type of design. And um, they call it the ranch rifle. Maybe that's why it slipped through the cracks for so long. But for all intents and purposes, it's a semi-automatic with a detachable magazine that shoots 556. We know of a lot of other rifles that get a lot of headline news about that, but this one has managed to slip through the cracks. Why? Because A, it looks like just a good old fashioned hunting gun with the wood stock. Uh, but I've done a lot of videos on the three to five guns that I would be able to sell if this new bill H139 makes its way through the Senate and is signed by the governor. But I think I need to rescind that list. This was one of the guns I figured I'd be able to sell because it doesn't have a pistol grip, it doesn't have a flash hider, but it has one of the new evil features, a barrel shroud, which keeps your thumb from getting burned by the barrel, which is now considered an evil feature. So I think that brings the total list down to zero of semi-automatic detachable magazines that I will be able to sell if that bill goes forward. But you're here for the rapid fire gun of the week. So you can use code GOW at checkout to get a very special discount on this very classic rifle. There's some great aftermarket parts made for this gun. There's some pre-band magazines still available out there. 
in Massachusetts that were made prior to 94, so you can use those in this gun as well. Uh, but it's just a phenomenal, good, classic gun that's been around for a long time. And uh, we're lucky enough to have a few of them in stock here at Cape Gunworks. So if you want one, don't delay. Make sure you check them out online. Go to capegunworks.com and use code GOW at checkout or go to rapidfireradio.us. Scroll down to Gun of the Week and use code GOW at checkout. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm Toby Leary, and we'll see you on Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA, both great organizations. And join us each and every week for two hours of gun talk and uh, the getting to your questions as well. If you want to be a part of the show, 508-444-2120 is the number that's 508-444-2120. Or if you're following live, you can type into the chat and we'll get to your questions there. Um, Join us each and every week though. Like, follow, subscribe, share, comment, hit the notification bell, all the things in order to stay up to date with everything that we're doing here on Rapid Fire. I appreciate everybody uh, your time sitting in here for, for so long, two hours seems to go quick, but uh, it's the fastest gun show on radio, right? <laughs> Goes by quick. That's why we call it rapid fire. Um, and I'm going to jump on your questions real quick, but um, I wanted to mention something that I've been following. And man, I predicted this almost two years ago when Joe Biden enacted the the task force, the gun task force that he, uh, you know, with zero tolerance policy. There's an article yesterday on ammoland.com on Biden's war on rogue gun dealers is now a war on all gun dealers. I predicted this would happen. It came true as I knew it would. And that is um, basically the he announced the zero tolerance policy for rogue gun dealers who he claimed were responsible for increased violent crime rates to many major cities. Rogue gun dealers, the president explained, are those federal firearms licenses who willfully transfer a firearm to a prohibited person and who refuse to cooperate with tracing requests from ATF. Merchants of death are breaking the law for profit, Biden said in 2021. We will find you and we will seek your license to sell guns. We'll make sure you can't sell death and mayhem on our streets. So I said, guys, I don't like the smell of this. It's not going to go well for gun dealers. This is once he realizes there aren't these merchants of deaths out there that are selling guns illegally. But believe it or not, um, people who are in the business of dealing guns want to stay in business and don't want guns to fall into the hands of gang bangers and bad people. Right. So as a result, they, um, comply with the law, knowing there's a federal inspection coming at any minute each and every year. Why would you ever not comply with the law? Right. We don't, we do. 
for that matter. Um, so I just said, once they realize there aren't these rogue gun dealers dumping guns onto the streets of Chicago and, uh, you know, St. Louis and uh, New York City, uh, selling them out the back door to gangbangers and, and uh, you know, school children, then what are they going to do? The Zero Tolerance Policy Task Force is going to look for every jot and tittle on a form so that they can save face with the multitude of millions of dollars that they spent in this egregious waste of taxpayer money looking where they shouldn't be looking, which is where the not where the problem is. So uh, they, I, I, I predicted it because I know how they operate. They, they come in and do an audit and they will see any type of clerical error on a form and they will say, okay, you, Mr. Gun Dealer, have been notified that you've got 20 clerical errors on, say, box 21A or whatever it is, you know, whatever box on the 4473. They didn't fill it out correctly. They didn't sign the form. They didn't put their address in correctly. They abbreviated their city, whatever it is. And then they can now say, you have been warned in a warning conference. And if you ever have one of these offenses again, it is a willful violation of law. And you will be subject to revocation. Well, guess what? Revocation hearings have skyrocketed. Now they are up hundreds of percent. Um, and it is mostly for the clerical errors that I said would what it would be. Um, so right here in, in this article on uh, Ammo Land, it says, um, during his most recent audit, the ATF scrutinized thousands of ATF Form 4473s. There are data points on 4473s that are created by the FFL holder and the transferee, he said. Those data points are duplicated in other locations. There is a total of around 200 data points per transaction. So the ATF was auditing millions of data points. Agents discovered just over 100 errors among the forms, all of which were minor clerical errors. None of them resulted in a prohibited person receiving a firearm. Before Biden said the ATF would have allowed him to fix these errors, now the penalty was much higher. The ATF sent him a letter announcing their intent to revoke his federal firearms license, which was immediately appealed. The officer who presided over the hearing was the same ATF agent who signed the revocation letter. The appeal process is internal and presented as Though it is a court environment, it was me and my counsel versus a room full of people, he said. But what really matters is that it's a non-adversarial legal environment. You can't attack their witnesses because their witnesses are agents of the court. To discredit their witnesses is to discredit the court. The hearing officer affirmed his own revocation as stated. The dealer may pursue the matter later through federal court given the hostile nature of this administration. It seems like a terrible decision to pursue a legal matter anywhere, but at the base level, the dealer said. To be clear, he was never accused of transferring a firearm to a prohibited person, failing to comply with a tracing request or failing to run a background check. So think about that. The thing that they are referring people to a revocation hearing for 
have nothing to do with a criminal getting a gun, a gun going missing, failure to perform a background check, failure for uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, the, um, uh, you know, of, of some sort of criminal person or a straw purchase even, uh, an unauthorized buyer of a gun getting a gun. This is stuff that procedurally would have happened anyway. It, they got approved. They filled out the form. They conducted the background check. They signed the form. They took the gun. Everything was done legally and lawfully, but there were clerical errors, and now they're being sent up for a revocation hearing. It's unbelievable, and I predicted it would happen because he's need, he needs trophies to hang on the wall to show rogue gun dealers who are violating the law and you know putting guns in the hands of criminals. Nothing could be further from the truth. But that's exactly the way they want it. So uh, ASD says VP Harris is the czar of that new gun violence prevention act. Wow. I'm sure she'll take it as serious as being the border czar. Which I remember um, when when she was named the border czar, she was kind of like, what? What did you do? <laughs> it seemed like uh, it was, a, you know, Biden giving her a what for. Um, but she has been talking recently and tweeting and everything else about how we need to have an assault weapons ban now. Um, well, no, we don't. And you lack the constitutional authority to pass a gun control bill such as an assault weapons ban and magazine capacity ban. You don't have the right. You don't have the authority might have the power, but you don't have the constitutional authority. What's the status of this thing? Who should we be contacting? Miguel, contact your state senator. This is in regards to H4139. Make sure that you uh, contact your state senator and don't relent. I, I recommend a four-pronged approach, as I've said many times on this show. One is through email. Two is through written letters. And it can be the same thing. You just print your email, sign it, date it, put it in an envelope, stamp it, seal it, send it. Um, and then the third is a phone call. Get them on the phone, get the rate on the phone, get whoever's going to answer the phone and say, hey, um, I vehemently oppose this bill. And then fourthly, email, I'm sorry, uh, social media, troll them on social media. And what I would recommend is, so that you don't, so that you have a reason to continually talk to them and continually call and continually email and continually uh, write letters and continue to uh, kind of be a nag, if you will, a fly in the ointment. What you want to do is um, limit it to one issue for each call, for each email, for each letter, for each social media post. Maybe say, hey, you can't ban categorically an entire class of weapons, as you're proposing here, which is semi-automatic rifles with a detachable magazine. You can't do that. That would be against the Heller decision of 2015, which said, no, you can't ban an entire category of guns, right? So limited to that. Then the next time you contact them, hopefully next week, you know, you got a lot of weeks till now till January to do this. Then you can say, hey, I resent the fact that you're trying to tell me uh, that my kids can't 
go hunting until they're a certain age or can't handle a firearm or can't practice shooting with me, their parents, or my cousins or nephews or grandkids or kids from out of state uh, that are, aren't quite 18, that they wouldn't be able to shoot with me. Take that up as an issue. Uh, resent the fact that you can't carry a gun and exercise your Second Amendment right at the polling place when you go to enact your right to vote. So when you're there with your right to vote, you can't, you're limited in your ability to carry a gun, which is another enumerated protected constitutional right. That's, that doesn't make sense. That's a oxymoron. Um, expanding any gun-free zone is a bad idea. Get rid of the gun free zone, get rid of the kill zone loophole and make sure that we can protect ourselves and others who could be potentially facing uh, a threat. G-Webs, thank you for asking. Uh, many of you know I'm running for local elected office in the town council race for precinct 11, West Barnstable, which is the largest and most rural. Um, village of the town of Barnstable and precinct. I believe I have one of the largest landmass areas of all the precincts, um, but we're also the most rural. So spread out uh, and knocking on doors, you can't just walk up a street, right? You got to drive and get out of the car, walk up to the door, knock. And if you're there for four or five minutes, then you got to get back in the car, drive up the road and knock on the next one. So it's very time consuming to knock on doors. Um, but I'm enjoying the work. It's a lot of fun. I like uh, knocking on doors, meeting good people, and discussing the the big city problems that are affecting our small town, if you will. Um, and so that's that's you know really how it's going. I think it's going well. I think I've really started to contrast myself with the incumbent. Um, there's a lot of issues that I I think really separate the two of us. And fortunately, um, West Barnstable is a very conservative area. So I think politically it aligns with my views as better. You know, I align with the views of my constituents better than the incumbent who is not very conservative um, in her actions for sure and how she's voted in the past four years and how the position she's taken on certain town things. So not to bore, bore you all here with local politics, but um, you know the saying, all politics is local, right? Um, and G-Webs, you're commenting on what I said about the smoke instead of the fire, um, the mental health and awareness and education, and the few folks who really need the help. That, that's the most attention. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I know somebody who got, ERPODE, the Extreme Risk Protection Order, for um, seeking mental health in a local hospital. So he voluntarily um, went and, you know, he's on some medication and he needed some adjusted adjustments made and went and checked himself in. And I don't know what they found when they um, had him had him there, uh, but the bottom line is he was, when he got out, all his guns were down at the local PD 
they had gone in at I think it was three in the morning and taken all his his weapons out of the house and they said the reason for um the seizure of his guns and the revocation of his license to carry was mental illness and um this is not the same as being adjudicated by a court for being mentally defective that is a disqualifying um makes you a prohibited person if you've been adjudicated by a court as mentally defective in in a way that makes you a harm to yourself or others um this was pretty much voluntary treatment which is what uh that guy robert card who shot up maine um did i guess over the summer he was voluntarily committed for a couple of week evaluation and this guy i'm talking about um was a similar situation except he doesn't have the same propensity for violence that this other guy did it was more of a an adjustment of some medication for some of the issues he's dealt with but he is not a federally prohibited person so this could open up a massive lawsuit for um you know here in massachusetts for the suitability and the uh lack of due process for red flag laws and for uh, revocation of uh, license to carry without due process as well or without becoming a prohibited person so this is going to be an interesting thing to see and um i don't know how it'll all play out sorry those are killing my ears um but the bottom line is he's uh, without his guns and he you know what how to get him back right how can he get him back i guess he's got to sue the state i guess he's got to sue to in order to get them back um maybe they would transfer to a friend or a relative or something i don't know i offered to help they just want to leave let leave sleeping dogs lying right now but the bottom line is that's scary when people can come seize your property and take your possessions uh, and you're technically not even a prohibited person. That is exactly what the whole Bruin decision dealt with was um, the lack of, you know, reason or, um, you know, the being able to take away your right to keep and bear arms because the licensing authority didn't like you or didn't think you had a uh, right to do that or didn't think you had a um, reason. You couldn't prove uh, a good reason why you needed a gun, uh, which that's not how rights work. But anyway, um, thank you, Kahuna. Thanks again, Toby, for all you and greetings from the Berkshires. Thank you. BG, I appreciate that. Funny how the moms demand action are now in Maine and supporting Mr. Uh, Goffman. Uh, yeah, uh, the paid shills for moms demand action by the Soros Foundation are soulless creatures for the most part. I'm sure there's a few uh, people that are well-meaning and misinformed and uh, I believe that they're, you know, once presented with facts, 
I spoke to several of them after the uh, after the the listening tour event that I was a panelist in in Greenfield, which, by the way, Greenfield is, I think, still dealing with a murder and haven't been able to find the guy who I think killed his wife and kid or killed his wife or something and then fled and they still haven't found him. So that's a, you know, a crazy thing that happened in Massachusetts, but um, yeah, Goldman. Um, so yeah, they, they will go anywhere and, you know, testify and they have their talking points. They have their, you know, card with all their talking points on it, well-funded, well-paid, and well-organized. I would to God that the gun 2A industry was as well-organized as some of those anti-gun ones. Um, but anyway, I'm not sure if this is true, but I heard the murderer had domestic violence charges prior. I know if in mass, if there's a restraining order, all the weapons are taken away. Yes, uh, that's true, Alexandra. I don't know if that's true or not, if he had a restraining order, but it is true in Massachusetts. If you have a restraining order filed against you, then your guns will be taken away. There's no question about it. And um, the bottom line on that is that is now being challenged by the Rahimi v. Garland case. Um, and that is before the Supreme Court right now. So Garland is really excited about this because Rahimi is a man of horrible ca uh, character, if you will. So they're really pushed it on the court to take this case for some of the other ones where there weren't as many, uh, you know, there was better suited people for the Second Amendment, the face of the Second Amendment. They wanted this one to be taken up rather than those. So he advocated for the Rahimi case. But Firearms Policy Coalition has really found a way to uh, give the Supreme Court an out without really getting into the nuance of the Second Amendment here. Um, and that is almost the same argument that Hunter Biden's lawyers were going to use in the gun charge case there. And that is that the Congress lacked constitutional authority to pass a law bar barring non-prohibited people from owning a firearm. And this would address the unsavvy nature of Rahimi, who, you know, even if this one charge drops off, he's still going to be doing probably 30 years in jail for everything he's done because he is such a scumbag. But the bottom line is uh, Congress can't make a law saying you can have your rights stripped without due process. We have the Fifth Amendment, which is very important that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. And that's what these uh, red flag laws, that's what these um, restraining orders do is they basically err on the side of the accuser. They don't get, they, they vi violate um, the, the American way, which is uh, you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's a problem. I don't think that uh, people realize 
the slippery slope involved there. Because if they can do that with firearms, they can do it with anything. They can do it with the right to vote. They can do it with the right to peacefully assemble. They can do it with, uh, you know, freedom of speech. They can do it with, um, you know, your right to remain silent or um, not incriminate yourself. So how do they do that? Um, they, you know, if they can get away with it on the Second Amendment, then why can't they get away with it on every other amendment? Um, so, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. Um, so let's see, what's the date for the grandfather clause if this bill passes? I think it's August 21st or some random date in August. It's the end of that legislative session, I believe. Um, but it's in August of 2024. So that's what that is. Um, Davey just got a bunch of steel targets. That's fun. Shooting steel is always fun. You get that audio feedback, which is always nice to hear when you have a hit. Bing! <laughs> it's always a great, uh, it's always a great, um, you know, great to get that audio feedback um, that you got the hit. Um, I should put a jar on the counter with straws in it and put straw purchases on it, paper ones, of course. Yeah, that's a good good one, Chris. Although the ATF has zero sense of humor. Um, I'm sure they would, if I claimed I was making straw purchases and they were actual physical drinking straws, they'd probably still bring me up on charges and make me prove my innocence. Um, our next governor, please, dear God, yes. Who? Our next governor. Who's our next governor? Dr. That would. Uh, I'm wondering who you're proposing is the next governor. Um, yeah. Let's see. Thank you, everybody. All right. Um, came in late, but did I hear Lake City did not stop selling to civilians? Yeah, this is news that came as zero surprise to me. Um, it's. It's something that rears its ugly head every few, I don't know if it's every six, eight months, maybe every year and a half or so, year, year and a half. Um, I've heard this rumor many times over the past nine years, and it usually pans out to not be true. So I mentioned it a few times as the contributing factor to the run on ammunition that's happening right now. Um, but I, that's all I did was mention it. I didn't say, oh, this is bad. I did say it was 30% um, of the civilian market is um, the Lake City ammo. Uh, so it comes as no surprise to me that they are not halting civilian sales. Was that because of the pushback? I don't know. Was that because something, uh, you know, they were able to rejigger their production levels to satisfy the war efforts. I don't know. Um, all I'm saying is, um, you know, I've heard the argument before and I've seen it before and I've never seen it actually play out. Um, but I guess the government does stuff that, you know, it wants to do like the latest, 
export ban. They've, they've given a 90-day ban on export of ammunition and firearms to the civilian market in any foreign country except Ukraine and Israel. However, Israel has been handing out AR-15s to the civilian market. And so I've heard that there might include the export ban to Israel if they find out that the AR-15s that they're handing out to civilians are in fact American-made rifles. So it's it's one of those things like, uh, you know, we're here to support Israel, except if they're giving guns to their civilian population because uh, they need them to fight Hamas. You know, it, which way is it? Do we support them or not? And Ukraine was handing out AK-47s and AR-15s and fully automatic AK-47s to their civilian population after the Russians invaded. And we were all high-fiving them. Yeah, that's great. Good, good idea. But the problem is we're not learning the lesson here at home. We have Kamala Harris still putting out her big orange squares on Twitter saying we need to ban assault weapons and magazines, uh, high-capacity magazines, et cetera, et cetera. And that, I think, is is the problem, is the fact that, uh, you know, we're not learning the lesson. We're still heading down this disarmament road and they're, you know, come hell or high water, um, <laughs> they're going to continue with it. So, uh, but we could learn the lesson and we should learn the lesson and we should try to take that very seriously that, hey, um, let's make sure this never happens in America where we need to hand out rifles because we've confiscated them all in the process. Or I know that's highly unlikely, but uh, thank God we don't have that same situation, but we have a lot to learn if we are going to let that happen here. All right. We'll be right back after this. This is Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. All right. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. Your host, Toby Leary, and having a very spirited discussion with you today. If you want to be a part of the show, give us a call, 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And or throw your comments in the chat, and I'd be happy to address them there. So speaking of which, let's get right back into the chat. Um, can I explain the grandfather clause in a little more detail? Aaron, I am sorry that I don't have a great answer for this. Um, the grandfather clause that I was told by Michael Day's office on the floor of the House um, Hybrid House Committee on Guns that I testified at was, um, I, he, he explained it that it was not a grandfather, but it was a legacy provision. So in other words, if you have a gun, you'll be able to keep it. But if you 
don't have one, you can't get one. And if you have it and you don't want it anymore, you'll have to surrender it, destroy it, sell it to a dealer or sell it out of state. That was the way I understood it. Then they pulled a 180 on the day that they actually passed the bill. Patrick, his aide, told me that, nope, this is a true legacy provision. I mean, a true grandfather provision. Any gun that's in the state of Massachusetts prior to 2024 in August of 2024 will be able to be bought, sold, traded by dealers, private individuals, and anyone, which blew me away because that isn't even the case right now. We can't even sell guns that were made uh, post 90, post, yeah, post 94 that are uh, pre Healy, but post 94, pre 2016, the Healy thing, 720, 2016. Um, so any gun made after 94, I can't sell if it's not. Uh, unless it's different than an AR-15, AK-47, FNFAL, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, wow, they're going to let us start selling all the guns we can't sell now? Something doesn't seem right. And I haven't been able to find that language in the bill. So I think he was lying in order to gain support on the floor of the House. And Patrick, his aide, lied to our face. So, um, yeah. Yeah, me for next governor. Come on. Uh, I'll, I'll be lucky if I win town council race. Uh, so uh, zero tolerance for straws. That's right. Straw purchases and gun stores don't go hand in hand. Uh, even the environmentally friendly paper straws. Um, let's see. Toby Scumbag Dettelback has also proposed a handgun ban. It's... I haven't seen that, but I'm not surprised. This guy is the David Chipman that didn't have the picture of him standing in front of the smoldering piles of ash at Waco, Texas. Um, on young adults, you're old enough to die in war, but government doesn't like you having a handgun. True story. Um, in fact, I was just talking to the, my some of the guys who work for me who aren't as old as I am. And I told them that I bought my first pistol when I was 18 years old. And they're like, how'd you buy a pistol at 18? I'm like, well, I'm old enough that it was legal when I was 18 to buy a pistol in Massachusetts. I feel like the generation older than me that said the drinking age was 18 when I was a kid. And I was like, that's so weird and foreign. Like, because uh, it was always 21 and older when I when I was a kid. So um, now I'm that old guy in the room that rocks in his chair and says, when I was your age, I could buy a handgun. And uh, But I will say that they weren't happy about it. I applied on my 18th birthday. I handed them the packet with my check on top. My background check was ready to go. My references, my reason for why I wanted to own a gun my two pictures, photographs, all my fingerprint cards. Uh, actually, they did those while I was there. And uh, I had my certificate tucked in there as well from the class that I completed um, by Bradford Erickson, who was uh, a, the late Bradford Erickson. He was a Yarmouth police officer who got killed in the line of duty. 
And um, so, yeah, I, I did all that. And then they said, okay, kid, we'll call you when it's ready. And I said, okay. And I just went down week after week after week, checking on my, the progress. And I remember, um, I'm like, they have 40 days. The state law says they have 40 days to approve this license. And day 41, I'm going to be mad if it isn't ready. Well, guess what? Day 41 came and went like a, like a, you know, a bad dream. And it was six months before I got my license to carry. And they had it in a drawer. They were hoping I'd just go away and never have to hand it off. But I remember them opening the drawer, pulling it out and saying, don't screw it up, kid. And it was kind of like tug of war on that license. <laughs> so anyway, um, all right, let's see. 4607. It's now 4139, Chris, is the number of the bill now. H4139. Um, prohibition didn't work for alcohol. Prohibition didn't work on drugs. 107,000 fentanyl deaths. But taking away only guns is their answer to end all violence. That's right. And, you know, I had a big, long tr Twitter war with a guy who was one of the butt monkeys, he um, started off, I'm a gun owner. I have pistols and shotguns. I'm a hunter. I'm a second amendment guy. I've always been a gun owner. And he goes on and on and on with his resume, you know, trained in war, trained in, you know, whatever. But here comes the big but. Nobody needs an assault weapon. And I'm not, I'm willing to compromise in order to bring down violent crime in our cities. And you guys are never willing to compromise. I said, that's right, because it's a right. I'm not willing to compromise on a right. Also, uh, we're talking about something as subjective as if we all pound our AR-15s into plowshares, into hoes and rakes and plows, um, it ain't going to do us any good. It means we're neutered. We've been compromised. We've been disarmed. But the violent segment of society is still going to have the guns. And they are already proven that they are willing to break the law. That's what defines them as a criminal in the first place. So I know I'm you know, in an echo chamber here, but I was shocked. Now, A, the guy's either lying. B, he's a FUD. Or C, um, he really believes this, that banning a specific type of firearm is actually going to lower the violent crime rate, um, where nothing, no statistical data can prove has proven that. In fact, uh, I read that article in the first hour from the New York Times. The thing that they're failing to mention, well, they mention it, and they stop their data at 2016 because... Honestly, the data doesn't support the study because we've gone, since I've been a gun owner, from one constitutional carry state, which was Vermont, to 27 constitutional carry states. And we went from a lot of states that didn't even have a permit. 
So the state of Texas, believe it or not, was one of those states, big freedom loving Texas. You couldn't own handguns in Texas because you couldn't get a permit and you could you could own them in your home, but you couldn't carry them out on the, out in society. And uh, you couldn't get a permit because they didn't have a permit and they banned uh, the carrying of guns by constitutional carry since like the early 1900s. So the bottom line is um, now we know it was probably not enforced, but it was one of those laws on the books. And now that there's 27 constitutional carry states out there, we have seen a massive decline in uh, crime, violent crime in some of those states. Uh, we've seen, as I just mentioned, the opposite happen in places like Massachusetts, where 98 gun control laws were enacted. And we've seen a surge and rise in violent crime. But anyway, I think uh, John Lott is up to like his fourth or fifth edition on more guns, less crime, where he has studied this uh, for decades. So I'm sorry to tell you that the two people that wrote that New York Times op-ed piece, um, which they tried to make is very scientific with very little evidence, um, are way off base. So, uh, you know, that's why it's not an interesting article to me. It's it's a calculated political um, presupposition. Um, but anyway. Hey, Toby, ever get an answer on whether or not it is still legal to build out an 80 percenter? I have contacted supposed to a lawyers and they haven't been able to answer this question. The reason they can't answer it is because there's no case law, right? All right, so let's back up. 94 assault weapons ban happened. All 50 states lived under it for 10 years, from 94 to 2004. There was not a single attorney general in the country anywhere who viewed that assault weapons ban the way that the current um, attorney general of Massachusetts or the current governor and former attorney general redefined it. So in other words, she took the uh, assault weapons ban to say any gun that is similar or has compatible parts is like the enumerated one and must be banned, even if the evil features that make it banned in the first place are removed, which is different from how the entire country, including the federal government, and all 50 states viewed it. They, no one ever said you can't own an AR-15. They just said you couldn't own it in this configuration. And they had a standardization. If it has pistol grip, a detachable magazine, and one additional feature, banned. Doesn't matter what kind of gun it is. And they enumerated like six different guns as an example. Well, she said the fact that these six guns are enumerated means any variation of that gun is banned. Now, that has not really been challenged in court. So I think the reason it hasn't been challenged is because they don't want bad case law. They want to be able to have the law to enforce as a threat, but they know as soon as it's overturned, then the whole thing crumbles. So right now, the threat of that law is greater than the law being challenged in court and going away. So that's probably why they plea bargain a lot of cases. I'm sure people have been tried under possession of an assault weapon, 
but no one has been tried, to my knowledge, for manufacturing their own AR-15 from an 80% lower, which would have been perfectly legal, and no law has been passed to make that illegal, other than the threat from the attorney general that that is illegal. So a lot of lawyers are like, what's your, um, what's your comfort level for being broke and in jail? Most people are like, well, it's pretty high. Like, I don't want to be in jail and I don't want to be broke. Like my tolerance threshold is very, well, I should say it's low. Um, I, I, it's a very low threshold. I don't want even the remote possibility of being broke or in jail. So if that's the case, don't do it. Don't become the test case. So that has largely affected the vast majority of people. Now, we've also seen a huge amount of people who have said, you know what, come and get me. I'm not going to hide the fact that I manufacture, I own, I buy, I assemble, I trade, I purchase. And there's a lot of dealers that sell AR-15 lowers because it is not a regulated item under current Massachusetts law. So the threshold is you go to a gun store, you get an AR-15 lower, you pass your background check, which is a federal background check on the lower. Massachusetts has no way of regulating that. To them, it is a part. It is just like a barrel. It is just like a handguard. It is just like a pistol grip. It is just like a stock. It is a firearms part. It is only considered a firearm in Massachusetts when it goes bang and a lower doesn't go bang. So the question is not, is it still legal? It's what is your tolerance for being broke or in jail? Because uh, the AG has put in writing that she will enforce it. Now, she never has, according to, you know, to, to my knowledge anyway. But she also leveled the gun at the dealers, not 600,000 gun owners of Massachusetts. So the enforcement of it was to the dealer level. She even said, out of all of the felons in the state that currently own these guns and bought them unknowingly from illegal gun stores or gun stores who thought they were selling them legally, we're going to give you a pass. But we reserve the right to try you for a violation of this should you screw something up. However, we're going to give you the wink and the nod. You're not going to be considered a felon. We're not going to charge you with a felony for possession of these guns. So, but the dealer, if you get caught selling them, we're going to fine you $10,000. We're going to put you in jail. We're going to non-renew your license, blah, 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 blah. So a very smart way to enforce something is on the dealer level. Smaller amount of people threaten their livelihood, threaten them with jail, threaten them with uh, huge fines to fund their own prosecution. So that's how they controlled it. So I would just say that's why you're never going to get a concrete answer from a lawyer in this state that says, yep, it's legal because no law has passed that's made it illegal. It's just that the governor, the former attorney general, threatened prosecution. And so, but as far as you know, I can tell, um, there's certainly no law that would prohibit you from doing it. 
The question is whether or not you want to try that law and become a test case. I highly don't recommend that. Um, that is not good policy to be willing to go to jail over something like that when there's pre-bans, there's great alternatives. We just sold out of a whole slew of Robinson Armament XCRLs, which are a phenomenal gun in their own right. Hard to get, you know, but other than that, they're a great gun. They take AR mags. Um, so uh, there's other options out there rather than trying to push it and go to jail over something like that. So anyway, uh, let's see. Yes, they did. They lied to me. I think you're referring to the license licensing officer. Um, I lived in a free state. I lived in a free state and got my license at 18, filled out the index card and 25 bucks. Yeah. I know a, a buddy of mine who moved from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania, went down to the town hall to get his license to carry there. And he walked in the door and said, I'm here to get my license. She says, like, okay, 25 bucks, writes out the check, hands it to her. She's like, hold on a second, goes in the back room, comes back with his license to carry. Like if you're going to have a license to carry scheme, that's the what it should look like. Here you go. And he was like, what? Like, seriously? And she's like, yep, here you go. That's the way it should be. Because we're talking about an enumerated right. How am I going to, how am I going to exercise that right if you don't provide the way? And if you don't provide the way, then it's an unlicensed right, right? Liberties, liberty is without license. Rights don't have permission slips attached to them. Rights are not privileges. They shouldn't be treated the same. There should be no bureaucracy created to restrict your freedom, to tax your freedom, to lien your freedom, to encumber your freedom. There's no other tax authority out there like the church tax or the poll tax. We already had that, and that was ruled unconstitutional. There's no... Fifth Amendment tax, where they can come seize all your goods without due process, unless you pay the tax or get the license or pay the fee, right? That's all stuff that doesn't happen. So the bottom line is we let it happen with the right to keep and bear arms. And we had interest balancing and tiers of scrutiny that backed it up all these decades. Now it's back to a single step approach and strict scrutiny. So our rights being restored are on the horizon. That's why all these places like New York, New Jersey, Oregon, Massachusetts, Maryland, Chicago are having their temper tantrum and they're passing laws that are obvious violations to Bruin, obvious violations to the Constitution, obvious violations to the text, history, and tradition of arms in America. And um, they know they can't, uh, make it all go away or they can't ban the guns forever. So they're trying to make it as hard as possible and worse before it gets better. And that was what I predicted right after Bruin. It would happen in Massachusetts. I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, so when does the Senate vote and try to make this bill legal sometime probably in January? Um, uh, no, I think they will pass something, Robert. I don't think it will die. 
before they make it a reality. I think they will conference this thing to death. I don't think it'll be the same bill that is written right now. I think it'll largely affect training. Um, I think it'll have, uh, you know, licensing will require eight hours of training and live fire is if I had to make a prediction. And I also think it'll ban unserialized firearms. It'll still allow for homemade firearms because that's <laughs> that's a tradition in our country since the beginning of, since before the, our, our country. And uh, they're just going to make you serialize them and register them, um, which we already have a registration as it is, but currently you register it as NTN or NSN, excuse me, no serial number. Um, so anyway, when you start with that, you know they're a FUD, yeah, when they say but, or I'm a Second Amendment supporter, but, um, and Davey says, that's how I got all my Glocks. Yeah, that's how everyone's doing it. And that's how we're selling the uh, PD-10 frames here, the Avidity Arms PD-10 frames, which I just did a couple of videos on. Those should come out next week. I can't wait to um, to show, show you guys all about that gun. It's a pretty cool gun. Um, Bird Runner. Um, they all oppose this bill, no question about it. But what do you mean by fight? I mean, Sig and Smith both have lobbyists in the Massachusetts State House, so they're pulling in the right direction. They're they're opposed to this. Um, so I would say they are. Uh, they're putting their money where their mouth is. They have their own lobbyist, so you know they're paying for their own lobbyist out of their pocket in Massachusetts. Um, I'm trying to get a dealer network together to pool our resources and come up with a consortium of gun dealers that we can now hire our own lobbyist. Gun Owners Action League is a lobbyist. NSSF has a lobbyist. So everybody's pulling in the right direction, meeting with these lawmakers to say, hey, you're way out of line on this one. You lack the constitutional authority. Just because you're in power doesn't mean you have the authority to do this. So yeah, you can pass this law, but it will be overturned. And all you're doing is costing your constituents time and money, not to mention human life. Uh, potentially people could die as a result of your unconstitutional laws. Yes, you do currently need to take a class uh, to Oh, not to renew, but that will be like a continuing education type of thing, Davy. So that will uh, will be a thing. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, not cool. Uh, hopefully they'll come to their senses and won't, you know, um, won't die on that battlefield. I hope that this will all go away. But we got to keep hammering them. We got to keep the heat on. Got to keep calling, writing, trolling, and uh, emailing our senators. Uh, otherwise, we get what we deserve, right? That's the unfortunate thing. And uh, but hey, guys, I had a great time with you today. I got to go hit the campaign trail again. Uh, but God bless. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope that you guys would uh, continue to keep up the fight. And I appreciate everyone's effort in that. So uh, till next week, I'll see you on 2A Tuesday. If anything big happens between now and then, I'll do a segment and we'll go 
go out on a high note. So, all right, God bless, and I'll see you soon. Take care.